Hi, welcome to the Tell Me What You're Proud Of podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Maggie Perry. I'm a licensed psychologist with a doctorate degree in clinical psychology. I'm also the founder of the online group therapy platform, Huddle.Care. I love helping people overcome anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorder, mood disorders, and stress. Please join us each week as we share real sessions with actual clients that reveal helpful techniques for effectively dealing with anxiety, OCD, mood disorders, and stress. We'll discuss what effective therapy looks like, sounds like, and feels like. We'll follow our guests as they overcome their biggest fears and find that despite their biological vulnerabilities, they can still live a rich, full, and meaningful life. My therapeutic approach is strengths-based and seeks to find and reinforce what clients do well to help them generalize those skills towards areas where they're stuck. My model for psychotherapy can be summed up as this. You tell me what you're proud of, and I'll help you become effective and happy across all areas of your life. Thanks for listening, and let's get the show started. Hi, this is Dr. Maggie Perry with Tell Me What You're Proud Of. In today's episode, we have Sophie back. Sophie was the first guest on the Tell Me What You're Proud Of podcast, and she is back to tell us how the last six months have been, what she's learned, and how her OCD has changed. So Sophie, thanks for being on the show again. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, can, can you tell us um, how your OCD has changed in the last six months? Yeah, I think... Um... It's definitely been trending better. Um, I was able to finish my graduate program and start a job, which was kind of meeting. I know you talk about value-based um, living, and those were definitely some of my values that I was able to live by and achieve. So that was really great. Um, I think overall, listening to the podcast has been really helpful because it's helped me. I like still listen to it when I drive to work every morning. Uh, and that just allows me, I think, to frame up my OCD, like I'm having a session every morning without having an actual session. Um, some of my... If I can just yeah. slow you down for a second, are there particular themes that you hear on the podcast that are helpful to you as you drive to work? Yeah, I think given that I'm in a career where it's uh, I treat patients and um, most of my content is around harm OCD, I think most of the sessions you've had um, have at least touched on harm OCD at one time or not. So another, so that's been really helpful to me, just having it framed up as a wide array of content that can be under um, harm, as well as having just it framed up different ways. You know, when sometimes I'm having content that I'm not aware is actually harm OCD, it's helpful to still have it framed up that way. And then kind of, I can use those tools you would suggest to uh, somebody that's, you know, you're talking to in the same way, like I'm having a session with you. Yeah, let me just talk about harm OCD for a second. So harm OCD is a content of OCD marked by preoccupation with whether or not you're going to harm yourself or other people. So people with harm OCD are afraid that they're going to harm themselves or other people in a variety of different ways. It can be something like I'm accidentally going to stab myself or, or my loved one with a kitchen knife. That would be more kind of physical um, harm OCD where someone might avoid a knife because of that, that intrusive thought. Or it could be something like hit and run OCD where somebody has the thought that they've hit someone with their car as they're driving over a speed bump and maybe have the urge to either check in their rearview mirror or go back and check over and over. 
Um, people can mentally replay that type of thing too. Um, other, another form of harm OCD would be probably something more like what you're describing, Sophie, where you're afraid of kind of the things that you don't do. So in the context of caring for children or caring for patients, caring for elderly, like any kind of vulnerable population, people with harm OCD will often be afraid that maybe they, they're not going to actively harm, but their actions are going to um, end up harming that vulnerable person. Maybe if they don't catch something, they make a mistake, or they choose to take an action that wouldn't be the, the most helpful thing to do. So those are some common content areas of harm OCD. And then when we think about the mechanisms that maintain them, it's typically intolerance of uncertainty, which underlies all forms of OCD, um, inflated responsibility, and clinical perfectionism. And so what we mean by inflated responsibility is two different things. It's one of them is having a thought feels like it's true. That's called thought action fusion. And that's kind of like giving too much responsibility to having a certain thought. And the, the idea there would be just because you think it doesn't mean it's true and doesn't mean you have to act on it. So in the context of harm OCD, that would be something like, I had the thought that I could help a patient in a certain way, and then it feels like I must do that rather than I could choose based on my values how I'm gonna intervene. So just because you think it doesn't mean you have to do it. And the other form of inflated responsibility is taking too much responsibility over things that you can't control. So if you have a family member that's ill, um, wanting to do whatever it takes to ensure that they're healthy could include the desire to do things that you don't actually have control over. And so relating effectively to inflated responsibility would be discriminating between what can you actually do to be helpful, maybe like make a meal for that person versus what you you actually have no control over that could be maybe um, whether or not they get the help that they need is not necessarily something that you can control. Um, so that's inflated responsibility. And then clinical perfectionism often also maintains harm OCD um, because there's a delta between what's actually possible, what you can imagine as possible, and what you're actually able to do. So everyone that suffers from perfectionism is has kind of an elusive standard of how, how things could go. And then they see the difference between what they're actually doing and what, what could occur. And the more that they're focused on that standard of um, trying to do things perfectly, the less well they're gonna think their actual behaviors are. So if you combine them all together, if you're in a situation where you could potentially harm yourself or other people, and you have trouble tolerating the uncertainty, having a thought feels like you must act on it, and you want to act on it perfectly, you're just very vulnerable to getting in a situation where you have an intrusive thought, and it feels like you must do something about it. Um, Sophie, do you have any thoughts about that framework for Harm OCD? Yeah, I think it's really... Uh... Uh, describes my experience well. Um, I think especially over responsibility OCD, I think that has definitely been really, um, I would say it kind of predominates most of my content now that I'm a provider for 
just um, feeling like I either need to help people as much as I can. And if I don't, then that's kind of letting them down or um, is being negligent or um, documentation wise, making a mistake that has very catastrophic kind of consequences to it for like my career or for the outcome of the patient or something like that. All of those are really great examples. So given that you can tell that the desire to, to respond perfectly in those situations um, is part of over-responsibility, how are you managing those thoughts and, and the way that you're approaching your work? Yeah, I think it's, it's evolving still because I think one of the tricky parts, obviously, with OCD is it's as smart as you are. So some of the strategies that worked early on for me, like when I was doing notes, I would, you know, not look over a note twice or something like that, because that was a way that I would kind of get caught into some perfectionism. Um, my OCD kind of evolved to that not be a, a trigger anymore. But then, oh, if I, um, you know, don't go over this other aspect of documentation or if I, you know, don't quite understand the way a rule is applied exactly perfectly, or I don't chart review for X amount of minutes before I see a patient, then that could have, you know, consequences for, you know, the patient or for me, et cetera. So it's just been a lot of, you know, trying to hold myself accountable. Like I think I talked on the show before about having rules for myself. So that's something that I've still really enforced, like, you know, I'll have a rule where, um, I will only addend a note if it's like something that's serious, which um, I realize is kind of subjective, but in my head, I've kind of defined that in a way that it's not subjective. Um, and that's been really effective to prevent me from going back over things again and again. Um, same thing with treating. I have to accept sometimes that I'm not gonna have the optimal amount of time to chart review or to document or something like that. So it's been, just a rule of, you know, using the time I have effectively instead of worrying about, you know, this, the consequences of not having as much time as I want and what that means for like patient care. I think that's a really great strategy and system. Um, when are you more or less likely to be able to implement that system effectively? Um, well, kind of like we were talking about a little earlier, just when I have like, I think anytime I feel overloaded, so whether that's with the number of patients I'm seeing, the amount of documentation I have to do, um, just maybe tough cases, a few of them in a row, um, that will definitely sensitize me um, and make me feel kind of urgent where um, I need to urgently finish notes, so I need to urgently figure out a case, um, that kind of thing. And if I can't, then that means something like my notes aren't going to be accurate or I'm not gonna be able to give very good care, et cetera, et cetera. How are you managing urgency lately? Like great, great connection between being sensitized and experiencing urgency. So what are you, what are you doing lately to manage urgency? Um, I think just making sure I self-care as much as possible, which like definitely didn't do a good job of this week, but uh, making sure I'm getting enough sleep and food and exercise that's helped because I can tell like just if there's been a couple days that I haven't gotten enough sleep like my urgency is like so noticeable like it's it's almost palpable where I'll have a thought and then I'm like I can tell it's OCD because it's so urgent inside of me and it's just 
like I can't ignore it and it feels very true um that's that's a, like I mean that's what I do I guess is self-care but I think also my rules help where it's like um even though I feel urgent about something I don't really let that kind of impact the decisions I make I just have to sit with being urgent which if I have to do that all day can feel really uncomfortable but I think I'm pretty used to feeling uncomfortable most of the day. At least it's kind of like in a self-efficacious way. Yeah, that's a really great point. I think oftentimes when you get into OCD treatment, it feels really aversive to think about going towards your anxiety and doing exposures and sitting with all of the uncomfortable thoughts and sensations um, and feelings. And also it's great that you recognize that you're already um, really uncomfortable. So you, so given that you're uncomfortable anyway, you might as well be uncomfortable in an effective kind of way or an efficacious kind of way and knowing what's happening and then not compulsing against it, but rather tolerating those uncomfortable feelings is much more efficacious. Have you seen any reduction in the amount of anxiety you experience? Um, it's hard to say. I mean, I think... I think my short answer would be yes, but I think the longer answer is what I'm finding is like the more that I find nuances to like kind of, you know, handle this content or, you know, the content doesn't matter or the urgency doesn't matter, thought action fusion doesn't matter. Um, it's like, I still will get triggers around everything I'm doing and or content around everything I'm doing. And I'm not sure if that's because everything is so new because I'm so new in this career or if it's because, um, you know, I just have a really sticky brain and it's sensitized most of the time. Um, I think like that's where, you know, if I, that's the only kind of frustration with this process is I think I thought like, oh, once I have these rules and I, you know, understand the workings of OCD, my, um, amount of OCD will go down, but I think it's probably stayed the same. It's just, I'm able to function at a lot higher level with the amount of OCD I, I do. And I also am able to kind of tolerate a really large amount of discomfort around content than I used to. Yeah, that makes sense to me too. When you say that you're able to function at a higher level, in what way did the, the way that you were responding to your OCD make it harder to function? Yeah, I think before I just, I would always treat content like it was like on the offense and I was just kind of having to take it. And even though I knew kind of cognitively what my brain was doing and what things would make it worse and things like that, it was never, um, it was never easy still to kind of buy into that process. And I think now, because I've had, I've had so many different ways I've gone about dealing with my OCD that I've kind of surrendered to like that being the best one. Um, it's that being, being on the defense. Uh, no, sorry. Like um, this framework that you talk about. So where you're not just like basically whack-a-mole in content all the time. Um, that's been, I think the most helpful for me where I'm just kind of like content is content. I'm going to have content when I'm sensitized. Um, I'm going to have urgency when I'm sensitized. That doesn't necessarily mean anything other than that. Um, kind of that approach is what I think 
has helped instead of feeling like I'm always just attacked by OCD. Um, but there are still definitely days where I do feel defeated where I'm like, you know, why, why, if I'm doing all these things and I understand content doesn't matter, um, do I still feel like I'm getting peppered by different content? So it doesn't mean that I think just because you, or my, my experience has been just because you understand the inner workings and like you understand this process kind of doesn't necessarily mean that your content will go away or that your OCD will go away. It's more just like you can tolerate higher levels of it and function still. Yeah. So the educational piece makes it so that you know what's happening and it doesn't cause you like the second fear of like what's happening and why is this happening in a way or and even like criticism that can lead to people getting more and more upset and kind of dysregulated. So you're, I'm glad to hear that that's not occurring for you. Um, but when I think about content not getting, remaining sticky and not, and having difficulty getting distance from it, usually there's an underlying belief that's keeping it going. Cause it's not like, it's not as though every catastrophic thought you have is one that re like results in sensitization and stickiness. For instance, you could have the thought, you know, what if my partner dies? And like, can you have that thought without it getting stuck? Mm -hmm. So me just saying, what if your partner dies? Do you feel any kind of anxiety about it? I mean, I feel something, but it's not like a content I would have OCD about. Okay, great example. And with that example, I would say that the reason that you don't get stuck on it is you don't believe just because I say something that makes it true. So other people that get caught in, like if someone says, what if my partner dies, they suddenly get a whoosh. That person is more likely to have the belief that having a thought makes it more likely. And so any kind of catastrophic thought that comes into their mind could send them into a spiral of anxiety. So you don't have that particular belief maintaining your OCD, but back to inflated responsibility, um, like, I like the rules that you have set up, but what if you actually make a mistake in documentation and it leads to a patient being harmed? Uh, see, now you said that. I felt more than just the, a passing sense of something with that. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah, that's definitely a... At first, when you said like, oh, yeah, you might make a mistake, I'm like, yeah, yeah. I agree. And then you're like, and somebody would get harmed. I'm like, oh, like I can feel my stomach drop. So that's how I know it's kind of content. Yeah. So in that area, you have, you still have thought action fusion. Mm -hmm. So any version of that still is making, giving you the urge to do something to ensure that it doesn't occur because your mind is processing intrusions like that as though they're threats to you. Yeah. No, you're right. I wish I had more to say about that than I do. That's okay. Um, when you notice that, does it give you the desire to, to treat those versions of intrusion, those types of intrusions differently? I think it definitely makes me want to be more aware of the beliefs that I have around them that I still don't even recognize that I have if that makes sense. Yeah. 
And, and so that's part of the therapy process too. Good, good therapy for um, OCD isn't just exposure and response prevention or also called ERP. It's, it's also helping you understand the beliefs that maintain it. Um, so, I mean, when you, the way that you'd be using exposure and response prevention for your content is you go into work and you have to write that note, that's exposure. And response prevention is you're not gonna check on that note. You're not gonna do the thing that your mind compulsively wants to do. So that's ERP, that's great. And if you still have an underlying belief that if you make a mistake, it could harm someone, or if, if you make a mistake and it harms someone, that that would be catastrophic, then you're still going to have a part of you that kind of resists the exposure and like really hopes that you don't make a mistake. And that will keep that whole process sensitizing for you. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I think I do a lot of bracing still um, because I think my job is so new that it's feels like I need to, to keep myself from making mistakes that are catastrophic. Um, so yeah, what you said just just resonates. Okay, and so that'll take practice too. Um, it's okay, given given that this is a new experience, this, just like in any kind of exposure, it's okay to modify as you kind of gain your experiential confidence that you can do the thing that you're afraid of and you don't have to do the compulsion and response. One way that you could think of the first couple of weeks of this position, this job, could be as like a modified exposure where when you get sensitized and when you get anxious about documentation or any other part of your day, um, you just wanna remind yourself that you're sensitized because of your underlying belief, but that underlying belief is really hard to challenge in the context of not having a lot of experience and like not, there actually being quite a bit of uncertainty about how the job's gonna go. Does okay. that kind of, yeah. does, the, does the modification make sense to you? It does. I guess I, do you mind saying it maybe again or saying it in slightly different ways? Yeah. So if you want to go straight at the heart of your OCD, you would mm -hmm. go into that documentation offensively and say, I can't wait to write a note. I, I love living with the possibility that I make a mistake. I'm going to do it quickly. Like you don't just like in order to do exposure to what if I stab someone with a knife, you don't actually stab someone with a knife. You just hold the knife with the possibility that you would stab someone. So as you're doing documentation, mm -hmm. you're not actually making a mistake. You're living with the possibility that you make one, but the way to be on the offense would be to, for instance, write the note really quickly. Um, so that the, the likelihood that you'd make a mistake is higher. Um, and that, and maybe while you're doing it, you're thinking, um, like if I, if I make a mistake, then I can handle it. Like this would be okay. Not bracing against it as though it's a threat. Um, and if that seems like too big, well, actually, let me get your impression immediately about that. Do you feel willing to try to work faster as a way to challenge and be offensive about your OCD? Yeah, I don't think I thought of that as, as um, an offensive, but like, I just didn't think of it in general, I should say, but I like that um, because it means it's a lot less checking and a lot 
just more being efficient, which I could use when I'm at work. Okay, great. So then how else could you, so, and I guess to my point earlier, um, it's still going to be a process because being new in any job has more uncertainties than just OCD uncertainties. So if you can be on the offensive now, when you don't really have your sea legs under you, um, you know, you're probably going to have, you're hopefully going to have even less OCD long-term as you get used to the position. Um, yeah, what, no, that, what, that resonates. What else might you want to be more offensive towards when it comes to the OCD you have right now at work? Mm, I think just being willing, like that idea of making a mistake in general, like maybe there's a way to be more on the offensive with that, because I think I'm always bracing against not necessarily documentation related mistakes, but it's part of it. I think just the overall theme is making a mistake in general. So, you know, almost like, I, I guess, you know, just sitting with that thought all day, like maybe I made a mistake, you know, or like reminding myself of that, you know, like if I'm documenting, it's like, yep, that could be a mistake. I could have documented that wrong. I might not be doing this like part of the documentation, right? Or I might not be doing this intervention, right? Or I might not be naming it the right way, but all those to say that it's all, they're all mistakes that I, I brace against constantly. Yeah, that's great. Even you might not be prepared enough. So rather than over-preparing before any given workday, you could also prepare just enough and then live with the possibility that you miss something. Yeah, no, I like that. That, that makes sense. Um, okay, great. Well, in awareness of our time, is there, is there anything else that has been particularly, you've learned over the last year, uh, six months, or that has been particularly helpful to you that you want to share? Um, I think just like something you say is like self-compassion a lot. And I think it's something that I don't really understand fully still, but I do think that I felt the best when I'm allowing myself, like reminding myself that I have OCD and that I'm like still doing a good job just by like getting up and showing up to work and doing hard things. Um, and I appreciate the podcast because I think, um, it helps kind of like start my day and remind me of these things too. Um, so I just appreciate that you have made the podcast and that that's another avenue for me to kind of be self-efficacious towards myself. Thank you so much for saying that. And what I, I totally want to reinforce what you're saying about self-compassion. Sometimes self-compassion can be warm and fuzzy, or can you be you sitting on a, a cushion, you know, meditating, but self-compassion can also be, just living in being mindful of what you're currently experiencing, being kind to yourself about what you're currently experiencing and connecting to your suffering to the, those of other people. So what you're saying and just remembering that you're, you have OCD, that it can be hard to get up every day and face all the fear that you're going to face that day. Um, that's both mindful and kind. So I think actually your application of self-compassion is right on target. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks so much for coming back. It was great to hear more from you. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening. If you felt any benefit from the show, please let us know and share it with anyone you think would also find benefit. 
As a disclaimer, please consult your doctor or therapist before attempting any strategies shared here. Thank you.